0: All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today, and once again, welcome. Now today what we're doing is we're actually continuing our new series, which is entitled Reemerge. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the Word of God to give us examples of how God Himself has interacted with the people of God throughout history. During their times of trial and at times their times of discipline to really reengage them according to his word, his promises, his view of them, and then bring them again into his promises and eternal purposes here in our times. And so we've been learning principles about how to reemerge with Christ. The first week we talked about a return to the promises of God. The second week, we talked about a return to how God himself sees his people, the church. And then finally, today, what we're doing is we're talking about returning what the locusts have eaten returning what the locus of Eden, because as we look to come out of our season of trial and come back into the times of promise and purpose in God, we need to know God as a God of restoration, one who can actually restore for us that which was lost during times of trial, that we might have encouragement not only to move forward in faith, but to also believe God for more. And so our focus today is going to be this, that we will reemerge with Christ as we understand him as the God of restoration, that we will reemerge with Christ when we understand him as the God of restoration. To do so, we're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about what the locusts have eaten. Secondly, we're going to talk about restored years. And then finally, we're going to talk about restored dreams. And so before we do anything else, Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that it gives us your internal encouragement that despite the times of trial in which we at times find ourselves, that God, you remain the same, a God of restoration, that as we return to you with all of our hearts and all of our souls, you are literally able to restore not just moments, but years that have been lost to us according to those times of trial. What the locusts have in fact eaten. And God, we pray that you would help us by your word to rise up in faith as we move forward with that great encouragement today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about what the locusts have eaten. And to do so, we're going to open maybe a familiar passage to you, but it's out of the book of the prophet Joel. And Joel was an Old Testament Israeli prophet who was writing to the people of Israel after a time of trial that they themselves had experienced. We know that God again brought through the prophet Moses the Israelites out of their bondage in the land of Egypt and brought them into modern-day Israel. That through Moses' successor, Joshua, and his compatriot, Caleb, and the others, they were able to take the land of Israel and occupy it as a land of blessing that God had for them when they chose to give themselves wholeheartedly to God, obeying his commands and giving themselves wholeheartedly to his purposes. Now, when they did that well, blessing flowed, despite even the enemies or the opponents that they had around them. When they didn't, According to God's word, there were consequences, meaning that there were blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, and one of those curses for disobedience when the Israelites chose to disobey is that they were deported from their promised land of Israel into the nations. They became the Jewish diaspora. And we see that Joel is writing after a period of deportation. And scholars believe this because of three reasons. Number one, they believe that it's a time after the deportation because the deportation or the exile is spoken of as a past event. Secondly, they're talking about the ransacking of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, taking place as a past event. And then finally, they're talking when Joel's speaking, he makes no mention of an Israeli king. That part of the judgment that came upon Israel is that they lost even the leadership that should have been provided for them to lead them into the purposes of God whenever they detach themselves from the wholehearted obedience to the commands of God, that they became wanderers and those who really did what was right in their own eyes and ultimately went astray, leadership was lacking and that was part of the deportation period. And so Joel's prophesying to this period of trial that the Israelites are experiencing. And herein, he begins to speak by the spirit of God. And God is once again, reminding his people that though there's times of discipline, that though there's times of trial, he wants his people to ultimately have hope in re-emerging with him. And we see God proclaiming himself as a God of restoration through this prophetic word that Joel is giving to the Israelites. And that's important for us because as we've come out of our season and are continuing to come out of our season of trial, worldwide trial through this pandemic and all the tensions that um, exist therein, what we want to know is that God is able to restore that which was lost to us from our time of trial. And God proclaims this starting in Joel chapter 2. So if you have a Bible today, open with me to that chapter. And starting in verse 18, God through the prophet Joel says this, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he, meaning God, has done great things. And so God immediately starts to talk to his people and he says, listen, though you've experienced this time of trial, I still have compassion on you. I'm still jealous for you and I still have pity on you. And in the midst of your trial, God says, I see you. I know you. And what I'm going to do is after this time of trial, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to drive away from you the enemies that once plundered you. This is what he's talking about where he's talking about the northerner and those who come with the front and rear guard. He's going to drive them into the sea. What this means is that God came to the aid of his people in their time of trial. And in the same way, God, in our times of trial, comes to our aid as well. But he goes on in verse 21. He says, "'Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield.'" Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And so what God's saying here is that in the time of trial that the Israelites were experiencing, not only were they plundered by external nations, but they were also dealing with the trial of their agricultural society being wrecked the former rain and the latter rain that came to water the earth and really provide an abundant harvest for all that God was blessing the Israelites with in their um, agricultural work and effort. It was withheld from them by God because of their disobedience to God. And God was saying that what suffered was not only the people individually, but also the works of their hands that the works of their hands were devastated during their time of trial. And we see a direct parallel to what we've experienced even in this past year of the pandemic, how really our entire nation as well as world were upended by lockdowns and uh, different disruptions of the economy and different social um, unrest that was constantly and perpetually causing things to not be fruitful, but actually takes steps backwards. But what we see is that God himself comes into moments just like that, as he did for the Israelites and says, I speak a word of peace over you, that I'll have pity on you again and remember you and say, fear not to you. Though that was the time of trial that you came out of, as you look to me, as you return to me, even as Joel said in previous chapters, with fasting and a wholehearted rending of your heart towards God. He says, as you do that, humbling yourself before God and look to God once again for your help. God says, fear not, be glad and rejoice because the Lord wants to do great things among you. And not only does he want to do great things among you, but he wants to return to you the blessing of fruitfulness that the locusts had previously eaten. You see, in agricultural societies, that's, again, one of the big fears that as they're planting, watering, and sowing, and looking to reap a great harvest, that these locusts could come in and devour that which they had worked so hard for and were putting their trust in. And that's just like all of the efforts that people made for their careers, their families, their relationships, even their ministry in God this past year, looking for it to be fruitful, but it looked like there was a devour horde of locusts that came to destroy him. But in the midst of that, God says, hey, listen, I am going to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Not just just the past year, but even for some of you, the years. And that's good news because this God who's declaring himself the God of restoration is continually giving this good news, this gospel to us as hope. That whenever we look to not only this word, but to the forward looking to the Messiah, Jesus' son, who he ultimately sent to in the times of our suffering and our trial, sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes passed down to us by family members or the world around us and circumstances around us. He said, I sent my Christ, my son into that world and spoke to the world, fear not, because that which has destroyed your efforts, that has, which has destroyed your life through sin and death that's entered through that sin, he said, I am able to restore And no matter if it was just this past year or years that have been stolen from you, years that have been stolen from your health, years that have been stolen from your finances, years that have been stolen from your relationships, with family members, friends, because of the tensions that have entered into this world because of sin. He says, I am able to come into that situation and speak a word to you. Fear not, because I'm going to do great things. I'm going to do great things and restore to you the years even that the locusts have eaten. Now, for me, that's good news because I've been in certain battles that have been not for several days, not for several weeks, not for several months, but literally years. And maybe some of you can relate with me right now. That some of the things that you've been believing for in your relationships, with your marriage, with your children, the relationships that you have with the community around you, maybe it's something in your business, Maybe it's something in your health. Maybe it's something in terms of your ministry being effective and actually somebody who's actually making an impact for the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus in the city in which you live and the world around you. You say, I've been laboring at this. I've been laboring at this like a farmer for years. And instead of seeing the progress that I wanted to see, this past year has been like a swarm of locusts coming in to devour that which I've been sowing, that which I've been laboring for. And I felt almost like I was at a breaking point, that there was no former or latter rain to refresh me or to water me. And the things that the locusts of this past year tried to steal were my peace of mind, my mental health, my encouragement, my joy, helping me to have the strength in God to go on. And I've been tempted to throw up my hands and say, I'm done. I'm tired. I cannot go on. Well, in that place, Here's the good news, people of God. God comes and says, fear not, for I will do great things among you. The former and the latter reigns. I will return to you as before, and I will restore to you not just moments, but years that the locusts have eaten. Let me tell you, even in my own family, the years that we've been doing battle, believing God for his promises. See, we're not just believing God to restore something to the way it was before. We're asking him to do even more than what he did at the outset and at the beginning. We've had too many words spoken over our family members, over our people, over our friends, over our church, over the people of God who are watching even today to believe that God's gonna do any less then restore that which the locusts have tried to eat. And it's because of his promise that he gave the Israelites that we can know God as a God of restoration, even in our scenarios. And at its core, restoration means turning pain into victory and loss into strength. That is what our God comes to do. He comes to turn pain into victory and loss into into strength. But the reason that we haven't been able to embrace it or reemerge with Christ in the past I think is because of something that Philip Yancey said. He's a famous Christian author and he said the reality is the modern church created an entire culture around Bible McNuggets and assumed that they were nutritious. Meaning giving you just little pieces or words of encouragement here or there that might sound more like self-help program adages than actually the word of God, which founds you in the person of God, the purposes of God, in the promises of God to move forward in your life. And so if you're only being given Bible McNuggets when times of trial come and you're devastated by the locusts that have come against you, you don't have the strength or the faith to come back out and reemerge with Christ because you don't know him as the God of restoration. But when we look in this scripture again and we see what God's done before, we have faith for what he will do again, that he can restore years that the locusts have eaten if we put our trust in him, even as the Israelites did according to his word. And so we see that restored years is what God wants to give you. And restoring the years, the locusts have eaten, means returning to the health and fruitfulness that you had prior to your time of trial. Returning to the health and fruitfulness you had prior to your time of trial, yet with something added to you. Greater strength and lessons learned. Greater strength and lessons learned. Meaning that the Israelites, when they were coming back into their land, they probably thought to themselves, you know what, I'm not going to go in the way of disobedience that I did or that my fathers did before because I saw the result of that. I saw the consequences of not living according to the word of God. I saw the consequences of living in adultery or drunkenness. I saw the consequences of living in theft or murder, meaning not just murder physically, but hatred towards people. I'm not going to be bound in my soul like others were before me. Lessons learned. I'm coming out and I'm going to allow God to restore me to health. In fruitfulness as I choose to go his way. Lessons learned. And then what we need to know is that as God's restoring us, he wants us to learn the lessons of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was ultimately living that perfect life that each of us should have lived. And ultimately he died on the cross, the sacrificial death that all of us should have died because as a consequence for our sin against a holy and a righteous God but because of his innocence he was raised from the dead 3 days later that through our faith in him we could have not only forgiveness of sins but new life in him you see if you found yourself at odds with at odds with God today he's calling you back to a time of restoration through the cross of Christ but what is the lesson of the cross well if in hearing this you it's simply you hear that it's simply God's restoration simply means to gratify gratify the desires for your personal blessing, you are off and have missed the message of the cross. If you just think the cross is about God restoring personal blessing to you, though that is part of it, hear me clearly, Joel clearly says personal blessing is part of it. But if you only relegate it to personal um, blessing, you've missed the message of the cross. That in Jesus, those who find their lives ultimately will lose it and those who lose their lives for Jesus, the gospel and his kingdom purposes will ultimately find it. This is the message of the cross that we don't want to lose that when he's trying to restore years to us, he's trying to say, hey listen, it is no longer just about the pursuit of personal blessing that you were after before and ultimately lost many of the things that you were after. He says, when you return to me through the cross, what you'll see is that what I'm returning you to is the message of the cross, that to find your life, you'll actually need to lose it. And to lose your life for Jesus and the gospel means that you will actually find it. What does he mean by that? He means that ultimately these things that people were ultimately looking for, the land and the blessing that they were looking for from God, that they're looking to have restored to them out of their season of trial, it ultimately comes as a product of putting his kingdom first. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're looking for God to restore to you after the time of trial, re-emerging with Christ will come to you as you have your right priorities in order and you put God centrally in his proper place. You say, God, I'm about you and your business. And as I give myself to your business, you'll give yourself to mine. You're going to restore to me that which the locusts have eaten, the years of the locusts have eaten, when I understand that is in fact the message of the cross. If I lose my life, I'll find it. But if I find my life and just simply try to go after the things that I was pursuing before without recognition of you, your promises, and your purposes, ultimately lose that which I'm looking for. But if I lose my life in you, God, I'll find it. And this is what we see in a proper interpretation of restored dreams. And the dreams that God wants to give are the dreams of seasoned, older men and women. And the dreams that the old men dream in the following passage are not self-centered, but they're God-centered dreams and therefore reemerge with the backing of heaven. When Joel continued to write about this restoration that God wanted to bring, he only reflected that which theologian J.I. Packer would say thousands of years later when he said, there is nothing more irreligious than self-absorbed religion. And so when we actually meet the God of restoration, what we're saying is, God, I've finally woken up to what your kingdom is all about. You want to bless me as a part of your kingdom, but it's as I'm serving you as Lord. As I'm serving you as your child with proper orientation, obedience to not some, but the whole of your counsel and giving myself fully to your commands and your ways and your word to be able to be blessed in this restoration. I cannot be self-absorbed in religion that you bless, but I've got to actually give myself to that which you do and the way that you do it. And this is what Joel, uh, Joel continues to say in verse 28. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out. This is God speaking again to his people. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors, um, Shall be those whom the Lord calls, and so what we see is that when when God is talking about bringing this reemergence, when He's talking about bringing this restoration, He said it's going to be not again you just returning to the way that you used to do things. There is a new normal even in God. When he brings us out of times of trial and into times of restoration, he said, I'm bringing you back to my normal, my new normal for you. And re-emerging with God is saying, I'm going to live life by the Holy Spirit, life by the Holy Spirit, which again leads us into the promises and purposes of God. You see, when the spirit of God is poured out on us and we begin to obey the leadings of the spirit, it leads us into God's purposes, not just our own. You see how that works? Where we're saying, God, restore me with the blessing I was looking for, but how do you do it? By following the Holy Spirit into the purposes that he has for us. And that's why God says, in these days, I will pour out, these times of restoration, I will pour out my spirit, not just on men, but on women as well. Not just on the old, but on the young as well. He said, I will pour out my spirit on my sons and daughters, both old and young alike. The old men will dream dreams right? But they'll be God dreams. They won't be, they won't be just self-centered or self-focused dreams. They'll be the dreams that are inspired of the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want to do through my time, my resources, and my efforts to bring your kingdom again to our cities that have been wrecked, our nations that have been ravaged on earth as it is in heaven? What do you want to do? I have a dream, but it's a God dream. I have a God dream now that I'm pursuing. And on the young men, they'll have visions of how to implement it, zeal and wisdom of how to run after it with all their hearts. God says, I will pour out my spirit on your people and this will be the result. You'll, you'll prophesy, which means you'll speak the words of God. You'll begin to declare the purposes of God, the word of God to the cities and the generation around you that though they themselves find themselves captive and in sin, they too can come out. They too can come to the land of restoration and reemerge with Christ as they do What? As they do what? They call upon the name of the Lord. When he's talking about this fact that when the day of the Lord comes, he's talking about ultimately Christ's return and the judgment that's gonna come for every man and woman, despite a time of trial or a time of blessing. Every man and woman is gonna give an account for their lives and in the day of the Lord, they're gonna have to answer to God for the way that they've lived their lives. And though we're right now just focused on today and the next day, how are we going to live and return to this time of prospering and blessing that we all were longing for? God says, you will do this by contextualizing all of your days in the fact that one day there's a day of the Lord that's coming where you will face me and have to give an account. And when we do, when we understand that all of our days are to be framed by this, then we order our days accordingly. We call upon the name of the Lord. And God says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, reordering their life appropriately, will be saved that we can actually be restored to times of blessing when we call upon the name of the Lord, meaning he's master in charge of my life. And now the shot caller for everything that I think, say, and do. He says, you will be saved when you do this. And all of this language is gospel language that the apostle Peter would reiterate on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this passage might seem familiar to you because it's the same um, um, scripture that Peter was referring to whenever he was preaching in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And after Jesus' suffering, burial, and resurrection, Peter would exhort the church to reemerge in the power of the Holy Spirit for the purposes of God. But immediately the question comes, well, if this is God's desire for people that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, why is it that people reject God's dreams for them? Well, it's because of the fact, as J.P. Moreland said, that if you were to force people to do something against their free choice, you would be dehumanizing them. The option of forcing everyone to go to heaven is immoral. Because it is dehumanizing. It strips them of the dignity of making their own decision. It denies them their freedom of choice and it treats them as a means to an end. When God allows people to say no to him, he actually respects and dignifies them. And so what God's saying is that though he's calling people to reemerge with Christ, though he's calling people to times of restoration, they can ultimately say no to him. It's a sad thing, but they can say no to him. Yet God gives his word through you and through me and through this eternal gospel that he once preached in our cities and in our nations over and over again. When Peter went on and said, after referencing Joel, Joel chapter 2, In his message at Pentecost, he continually made an appeal appeal to the people of God, saying, reemerge with Christ. Let him restore your broken and fallen lives and land. And in Acts chapter 2, he tells us what to do. Verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, meaning the people to whom uh, uh, who were listening to Peter at the de- at the time of Pentecost. He says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, meaning change your mind, don't go the way that you used to go prior to the trial, but do things differently now now that God's showing you his way. Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that means, yes, you, if you're listening today and have turned your life over to Jesus, but, not, but have not yet been water baptized, that is your next step. You need to go down in the waters of baptism, be buried to your old life and the old way that happened prior to the trial in Christ so that through your faith in the power of God, you might come out of those waters of baptism into new life in Jesus. Peter's saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of this reemergence, the promise of this restoration, is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, meaning Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were about that uh, were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so God is today, just like at the time of Pentecost, just after the time following Jesus' reemergence from the dead and resurrection. He's saying to us today, you can reemerge with Christ. You can be restored in Christ if you would repent, be baptized and be filled with his Holy Spirit that he promised in Joel to ultimately, bring you back to his ways, back to his purposes, back to his lordship, and back to his promises for your life. And so if you have not done that, today is your day of salvation. And if you have done that, today is the time to re-engage God, knowing that he wants to bring you back to the land of health and fruitfulness, greater strength, and with new lessons learned as you continue to give yourself wholeheartedly to him in Christ Jesus name. Amen. And so let me start by giving anyone today the opportunity to say, you know what? I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never bowed to his lordship. I've never said, God, you are the one who is the shot caller in my life. But today I realize I need to do so. I know I'm gonna face God in judgment and I wanna face him as a friend, not a foe because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner and I know that I've lived in death I've lived in broken relationships. I've lived in even a hell on earth because of not just the trial I've experienced from this past year, but because of my own sin. And I know that if I were to stand before you today, I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And I'm asking you to be the God of restoration for my life. I believe that you sent Jesus to live the perfect life that I should have lived and on the cross die the sacrificial death that I should have died and three days later be raised from the dead so I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in him. God, would you forgive me today and make me a new creation? Would you help me to love you and follow Jesus as Lord and restore my life according to your word in his mighty name, amen. Now the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God says he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com newlife new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to come into this life of restoration that God has for you. There are prayer counselors even right now who want to stand with you. So please do, if you would like to click on the link below and talk with somebody who can also encourage you in this new faith. And for the rest of us, I pray God's blessing of great faith for restoration. That as we've come out of this year of trial, that God, you give my brothers and sisters great faith to restore the years that the locusts have eaten in them. Whether it be relationally, financially, in their health, Father, in their wellness of mind and soul, God, we pray restoration over them in Jesus' name and help them to grow, move forward in the strength of your love for them. In your mighty name, amen. We continuing to pray for you this week, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And if you've not yet found a community group, please go, do go to our website where you can find both virtual and in-person options. Share this link with the others who also need to be strengthened by the grace of God. And do invite others next week with you to the service that they might also hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Until then, have a great week in the Lord. We love you and we'll see you soon.